here to uh, connect with us. And so it is good to see him and his family with us tonight. And we're going to go to God in prayer. Great God, we praise you, we love you, and thank you. Thank you for helping us and strengthening us. We thank you for loving us. And we thank you, Lord God, for hearing our prayers. We ask that you would guide us in our studies, that you would guide us in all truth, and grant to us understanding, wisdom, and knowledge to bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray and thank you, if it be thy will. Amen. Um, we're going to Philippians 4, just for a brief moment. But we want to talk about the, the, the psyche of the human mind for just a moment, that just for a moment, that it's, it's developed based on what a person believes to be right or wrong about themselves, about others, about their environment, about their lives. And, and, and that environment that you grow up in Depending on where you grew up, you have a certain kind of belief system about things, whatever those things might be. We just, we, um, you know, people from certain areas kind of think in certain ways and et cetera. And it's not until you expand your, uh, your, I guess, the place where you've been or places you've been that you realize, you know, it's not always, you know, people in Texas don't always do this and people in, you know, California don't always do this, and people in Maryland don't, and D.C. don't always do this. It's, we become people who generalize based on um, maybe events that we see on television or things that we hear. But our minds become shaped and influenced by oftentimes our circumstances in life, right? Situations and circumstances in life. And then the, the problem with that is when I start facing circumstances or problems or issues as a young child, a boy, I see things in certain ways. Like, uh, for example, growing up in a, in a certain neighborhood, there may have been certain things that you found to be really fun and exciting that if you go to another location, environment, wherever it may be, they may think that thing's repulsive. You know, and you go, Wow. And it's just, okay, is, is it really repulsive or is it just environment? It's an environmental um, uh, belief system, if you will. And then that, that belief system where some things are okay here, but really not okay over there. As a young child, as an adolescent, as a young adult, you grow up with this belief system that, you know, this is right, this is wrong, um, this is good, this is bad. And it, it, it may be completely wrong or it may be just, just tr- uh, traditional. And so premises in life, um, they shape us. But what if your premises are incorrect? What's going to happen to your conclusion, right? You know, my premises are off, so my conclusion is going to be a little bit warped or just different, strange things. I remember something really weird, and that was um, the first time since I mentioned Texas, uh, being from uh, D.C., uh, you, we watched television and we saw Texans on television, right? And then on television, they dressed a certain way. Like, I'd never seen anyone uh, from the South put on, put like a cigarette pack in their pocket and roll it up. You know, right? I saw it on television. And when I went to Texas, I saw it. I go, wow, people really do that. I called home, mom, they really do that. It was kind of, it's a funny thing, right? But 
it's just, you, you know, you get these ideas that, okay, well, is that right, wrong, or different? Is that, what does it really mean? And, and even a silly example like that. But do I then shape my mind to believe that whatever I see on television is true? Well, well no, it's not. But what if, what if I see things that, that correlate or relate to what I learned when I was a young boy growing up, and I see that it, well, it really does look like it's true, even though it may be false? And as I grow older, it's, it's important that we learn to do something about all of the streams of income, or information rather, that we have coming in. And what we have to learn to do is challenge it. We have to challenge what we've learned and heard, challenge that belief system, especially in regards to morality and life and all those things, with the Bible in its proper context. You've got to challenge it, right? Because it might not be right. You know, you've heard about a certain person or certain people or certain ideas is that are those ideas right wrong and different well, you know what does God have to say about that I grew up in my my preacher always says this or my the Pope you know whatever it is that you believe growing up and you have to challenge those ideas with truth um, the Bible says that the word of God is truth John seventeen seventeen, and then it says to us that you shall know the truth and then what does the truth do sets you free, right? So what if I believe something that isn't true growing up all of my life and I move away and I realize I learned something that this isn't true? Now what do I do with that? Do I hold on to it? Or do I learn to let, let it go? Right? Tradition, family, tradition, family, um, uh, just whatever within the family. Philippians 4 verse 8 starts out with a simple Finally, brethren, whatever is true. Not what does dad say, not what does mom say. Like we used to always tell our children, I would say, you have to have to challenge with the Bible what we've taught you. Right? Because you can't live off of my faith. So I'm going to show you what the Bible says. And then I want you to challenge that uh, from things that you hear and what you see and in, in matters of life and say, hey, does this align with what God says or is what my father believed a tradition, something that doesn't matter or something that's not true? Make sure that you and your foundation is based on truth. Get a solid foundation. And whatever is true, you can dwell on it. You can hold on to it. It gives you sustenance. It gives you strength. It gives you all that you need. So I want to talk about that um, tonight in our lesson about the psyche of the human mind being developed simply by growing up in a certain area or an environment uh, or things of that sort. So how do you feel about certain places or um, events in life? And then have you ever found yourself to be in error in what you believed about certain places, events, activities, whatever it may be? Have you ever found that to be true in your life, that you believed something that really wasn't true? Anyone? Yep. I did. You? Yep. I mean, if you say no, then I, thank God. <laughs> but, you know, you kind of grow up and you go, you know. Uh, <laughs> I remember thinking at one point that police were bad. Right? All police are bad. It's a stereotype. But all police are bad. Why? Why would I, why would I think that? Because <laughs> they were always in my neighborhood taking people to jail. <laughs> And the people in my neighborhood, you know what they were doing? Protecting my neighborhood. 
So then I thought, well, these guys are pretty good. Until you grow up and you go, hey, these guys are really bad. The cops are really good. You know, but you don't know that until you investigate and you realize, wait a second. I need to step back for just a moment, not believe what everyone is saying, and use my own brain. But as a kid, you don't do that, right? You don't do that until you begin to grow older and you begin to challenge things and realize, you know, hey, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe, you know, everyone says to go through this, and so I'm going into this path or this direction, but maybe this isn't the right path or this isn't the right direction that I should go into. And so um, hyperbolic statements are dangerous. You know, like you think about um, all purple people are bad. Is that true? Well, I don't know. I haven't talked to all the purple people. Actually, I haven't talked to any of them. But anyway, uh, right? if you think about that, we, sometimes we do speak in hyperbolic statements or hyperboles. We exaggerate an idea. Well, I don't want to go to Oregon because Oregon's a terrible place. Well, how do you know Oregon's a terrible place? Well, I heard, well, have you been to Oregon? And have you checked every city and every, well, no. Well, how do you know Oregon is a terrible place? Maybe just a portion of Oregon where you visited is a bad place, but the rest could be beautiful, right? It's just challenging things that, that we've heard and that we believe to be true that may not actually be true. So I want to show you John 1, and I want to show you how, that, how it kind of works. John 1 and verse 46. So again, the psyche of the human mind is developed based on what, pe- what we believe that is right or wrong about people, about places, about ideas, and if we don't investigate it or challenge it, especially things of morality and spirituality with the Bible, we're going to find ourselves believing something that is false, speaking in a hyperbolic uh, uh, statement. So, John 1, let's believe this one. Verse 44. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew, and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law, and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazarene, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Okay, so can anything good, listen to the statement, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, the perfect one came out of Nazareth. He's born in Bethlehem of Judea, but he lived in Nazareth. So, so the belief system was that nothing good comes from Nazareth. What if Nathaniel said, you know, based on what I know about, about people that come from Nazareth, I don't want to go and meet the Savior or Jesus or the Messiah. He can't possibly be the Messiah because nothing good comes from there. You see, it wouldn't have been true. It wasn't a true statement, right? Um, look over at um, Matthew chapter 2, and uh, there it tells us that Jesus was called a Nazarene. It's through the prophecy. They totally missed that. But verse 23, uh, it says, And came and resided in a city called Nazareth, that was what the spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He, speaking of Jesus, shall be called a Nazarene. So where did that thought come from? Nothing good can come from Nazareth, and yet the prophecy says the Messiah would come from Nazareth. (laughs) Who said, who started that, who started that rumor? Right? And whoever started that rumor, look at what he did. You know, it got people thinking, well, there's no way that Jesus could be from Nazareth because nothing good comes from there. And now this mind has been shaped with the idea of you meet someone from Nazareth and they say to you, hey, yeah, how you doing? I'm looking for some work. Where are you from? I'm from Nazareth. Oh, no, I want nothing to do with you. 
right? So that's a hyperbolic thought process, if you will, or idea, which is not really good, right? Um, and so you carry that into every, we carry in every aspect of life, right? Every aspect of life, even in religion. You think about it, it goes into religion as well as to where we might think something about um, a, a people, if you will, a religious body that isn't necessarily true. But you've heard it, so you believe it, and instead of investigating it, we just accept it, and now we have an issue, maybe, with salvation, right? I'll give you another one. So there was a way of thinking, uh, way back in the book of Genesis, but we're going to, we're going to the book of Job. So you know, Job is, is about around the flood, and we're going back to Job, and I want to grab some of their uh, thinking. We're just going to grab one passage, though. But some of their thinking, they understood to be incorrect. Right? They had kind of the same idea we have. If things are going good in your life, you're what? Not only are you blessed, you're what? You're righteous. Right? I mean, even today we say things like, oh, man, boy, they sure are blessed. God must really love that person. Look at what they have. And what they have has, no, has nothing to do with God loving them. Right? It's, it's just God loves the world. So, but they had this kind of the same idea. So Job, why was Job suffering in their minds? Because he was a sinner. And Job wasn't just a sinner. Job was a terrible sinner. He, was a, he did that one. As you read through it, you just think of the, the thought that Job committed that sin. What was, I don't know what that sin was, but they, they all wanted to commit Job to being the one who committed that sin. Oh, yeah, Job, you did it. Because look at me. I, I've never committed that sin. And you don't see me suffering like you. Obviously, you committed that sin. And that's why you're suffering. And you know what? God's angry at you. God's angry at you because you committed that sin. And so all, the, all the, the friends, if you will, come in and they all say, yeah, Job, you committed that sin. And Job said, I didn't commit that sin. I didn't do it. I, I, I'm, I'm righteous, speaking of, in regards to that sin. And they said, oh, now look at you, Job, thinking you're better than everyone else, right? And then Job says, if I was on your you know, side of the fence, I, I could say what you're saying, and, but I'm telling you, I'm innocent. He wasn't saying it was an innocent man, he wasn't saying he had never committed sin, as you read through the book. But he was saying, I didn't commit that, you know, that sin that causes the death of your family and that causes the, the you know, the eating away of your flesh and that causes your, your own troubles. And that was the argument. These were wise men. So you know it was something that was taught, right, amongst them. But they were wrong. They were so wrong. And they had developed an idea and an understanding of how God works. Well, let me tell you how God works. And they could tell you exactly how God worked. And guess what? They were wrong. Um, so God says in Job 42, uh, speaking to uh, these young men, and it came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Timonite, my wrath is kindled against you, and your two friends, because you have not spoken what is right, as my servant Job has. So now when you go back and read what Eliphaz said and Bildad and, and Job, you, start, you go back and you go, well, wait a minute, be careful how you use those passages, right? So when you're reading the book of Job, you have to be able to stop for a moment when you get to things that Eliphaz says or Bildad says or Elihu says and recognize that those things are, are riddled with a little bit of truth and a little bit of error. So you don't want to stand on those things. Right? 
So when you go back and read the book of Job now, go back and read it and read and listen to their argument. And remember, their argument is mixed with a little bit of truth and a little bit of error. And you'll see this book open up to you in an amazing way because it's a very different kind of book. It's kind of what we do. You know, when we look at people, we make a judgment about them. We stand on that judgment and you might be wrong, but I can't see it. These men could not see that God doesn't operate that way. What do we know about the book? It was Satan. <laughs> we know that, right? It was, it was the way Satan operated. It was what Satan did. And I know that the argument has been said over and over again, yeah, but God's in control. And so, you know, we go on with that, that line of thought and reasoning. And we know that God said, why not consider my servant Job? What did God know about Job? That he could handle it. God already knew. There's nothing that Satan's going to bring into his life that's going to destroy his faith. That's why he says, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him. There's no one like him. Blameless and upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he holds fast his integrity. There's no one like him on earth. God knew, right? God knew the limitations of Satan. God knew uh, the power that Job had and his trust and confidence in God. And God knew his protective layer that would be necessary to keep Job strong. But his friends thought for sure that Job was an enemy of God. But instead, he was a friend of God in the sense of uh, relationship. So, again, they're speaking very generically about Job, and they were wrong. But they shaped their whole spiritual relationship, if you will, uh, around principles and premises that were not true. Interesting, right? The question I'm asking tonight is, um, as we think about our psyche, have I done that in my walk of faith? I mean, why... Am I a member of the Church of Christ? You know, if, if you say, well, because my mom was one, and my dad, my grandma, my grandma, my great-grandma, my, it's been in my family all my life. Have you challenged it yet? Have you challenged what you believe with the, with the Bible in its proper context? That you got to do, right? That's really important. Um, the next one I want to go to is Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. So have I believed something and I'm using spirituality, hoping that you can take the lesson in your own heart and mind and open it up to your own personal belief system about something growing up in your life, Some, whatever that something might be that you have believed in a, in a way that was incorrect, but you thought you were right. So look at how it shapes us. Isaiah 5 and verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Well, how do you get that thought? How do I get it in my mind that a, a, an evil thing is, is good and a good thing is actually evil? Are there any thoughts about anyone who believe people that believe that a good thing is evil and an evil thing is good? Can you think of one? Anyone? Yes. Great. That's a great example. I didn't even think about that one. Lying for a good reason. That's good, isn't it? I mean, it was a good reason. <laughs> Kept my brother Cord out of trouble. <laughs> Sorry, Cord, I didn't use you, but I think of trouble, I think of Cord. No, just kidding. Uh, right? Lying for, that's a really good one. Lying. And you know, there have been a lot of arguments about that. I mean, lots of, and really good reasoning. That I would have to say, you know, okay, what? All right, well, I don't have an answer for that, but, but I do know that God says all lying is wrong, and He's the judge, right? 
But wow, that's a really good one. That one caught me off guard. Thank you for that. What's another thing that we've that we have maybe grown to kind of accept that isn't good, but maybe we've kind of grown to believe maybe it's not so bad. Yes, Charles. They do lie every day. Yeah, right. Right. That's true. That is true. Right. Um, can I can I play the the game of life and win? You know. <laughs> Right, yeah, but do I really win when it comes to God? <laughs> right, yes. That was a good thing, wasn't it? Yeah, blowing up abortion clinics and yeah, right. There's nothing good about that, is there? Um, but but it was a good thing, right? Even the church might have applauded those guys. Way to go! Way to make those people stop. It's not going to change people, right? Just because we blow up an abortion. Clinic, even though we don't agree with it, it that's not going to change people. That's not the way Jesus said to do it. And in fact, um, uh, you know, it's not our right to do that. So another, that's a very good one. What's another one? Yes. Oh, reading the horoscopes. But those are pretty, I mean, 12 months. Uh, <laughs> reading the horoscopes, right? And believing them, too. That's the other part, right? <laughs> reading them and believing them. And then patterning your month Right? After that horoscope, right? How about, how about, um, I mean, this is, you know, well, this is fun. You know, you go to a Chinese restaurant and you open up the fortune cookie and you go, look at that, that fits me, right? Yeah, it's just, maybe that's not true, right? Here, you read it, it might be good for you, right? Pass it over to you. I think it's your birthday present, but I'll give you this. No, just kidding. But yeah, right? Reading horoscopes, uh, believing in something that isn't true. Uh, the Bible's very clear on that, that we don't. Um, know the future, therefore, n- no one can give you this great futuristic thought. How about the prayer, Jabez? Oh, another one over here. Oh, Elizabeth, go ahead. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that is a good one. That's the only reason I'm doing it is because of an eye for an eye. You did it to me, so I'm going to do it back to you. And then how do you think that feels? <laughs> that's so... Uh, here we are as Christians, we're not supposed to live that way. We love our enemies, don't we? And the Bible says something like if someone hits you in the, on the right, give them, right, give them the other cheek as well. Right? Um, but, it, but it feels good, doesn't it? Uh, really? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Um, the prayer of Jabez, you ever read that about that? You know, you go, then go back and read the prayer. Right? Read the context of, of Jabez and go, was that I don't know that that's what God's saying to me, but boy, it sold a lot of books. Yeah, right. Just throwing it out there. I mean, we can go through a list of all these things that that sound wonderful, but they just aren't true. Like you know, are there real life superheroes? But they're good guys, and of course there are. Right? They make us all feel good, so therefore we should believe in them. Isn't that true? Right? It's nothing about that kind of stuff. About Hollywood's not true. I'm just trying to bring out the example. Then my brain becomes, becomes transformed, if you will, in, a, in one way or another to believe something to be true that isn't true. And I begin to pattern my life after that, uh, such as the horoscopes and all the things that we're, that we're talking about. And that's not a good thing, is it? Superstitions, another good example, right? All the superstitions that we believe about certain things or ideas, right? That just, well, this is what we've always done. Well, it's because we've always done it doesn't mean it's right or good, or beneficial. It may not be bad, but 
it may not be good or beneficial. Uh, so, woe to him those who call good evil and evil good, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. So how do we do that? How do we substitute light for darkness and darkness for light? I got a, I got a good one for this one. How about let's just make everybody a Christian? That's pretty good, right? Let's make everybody a Christian, even against their own will. Right? You can't do that. It's not going to be acceptable to God, right? No. No, sir. No, it's not. It's not true. It's not what... What about this one? Um, all people are children of God. Does the Bible say that? Or does it say all people are God's creation? There's a difference. Yes. Well, I didn't want to go there, but you, you opened up the door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're right. 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 Uh, so following politics and, and, uh, and, and repeating some of the things maybe that they say we should do. And then we go and do those things. I, I agree. That's, that's turning. That's light and darkness, isn't it? Is, is would, you know, are the Republicans or the Democrats or the Green Party or whatever all the parties are, are they going to save us? No. They're not even going to save the world. The world's going to burn up. Right? We believe we trust in Jesus. So that's, he's our number one mainstay. Could we make politics light? Yeah. And darkness? Yeah. Republic, what do we say? Uh, liberals and Republicans? Liberals and... What's the other one? No, but I mean, what's the liberals and conservatives? Thank you, conservatives, right? Based on what? Based on the Bible? Or, or based on just what I believe to be true? Right? What makes me a conservative and what makes you a liberal? What makes you a liberal? What makes me a conservative? Is it based on the Bible or is it based on my own ideas or thoughts? Right? Because think about that, right? And so when I apply to other people and I say, hey, I'm the light because I'm a um, conservative, I'm the light, you know, you need to follow me. Well, I think Jesus said he was the light, right? So certainly there's another one. Um, so substituting light for darkness and darkness for light. The next thought there is uh, also substituting bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You know, what's, what's we've even changed the word sweet. That's sweet, right? That's a, you know, that's a good, that was good, right? Substituting sweet for bitter and, and bitter for sweet. So I want to go to First Kings chapter, uh, chapter 19 about these exaggerated ideas that and if they're in error, it doesn't get better, it just gets worse, right? It just, it really, it really gets worse in, um, in our lives when there are exaggerations that we're believing, trusting in, uh, or, or thinking about. And of course, in your own upbringing, you probably have other things that you can think about uh, you grew up and you had an exaggerated belief about something that may or may not be true. It shaped your mind and maybe it, maybe it altered your life. Maybe it didn't. I don't know. But um, there's a lot of bad stuff that's gone on in people's lives growing up. Okay, here's an exaggerated idea. Okay, um, chapter 19, verse 14. Elijah is fleeing from Jezebel. Do you remember the context? Um, in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, uh, Elijah went up against 850 false prophets. Right? 450 prophets of Asherah, 450 prophets of Baal. 
And the question was on the table, if God is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. And then the challenge was um, that we'll set up an altar and the God that answers by fire, he is God. And so later about verse 36, God answers and, and with fire and burns up the altar. And, uh, and so, okay. And the people say, okay, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then at the very end of that chapter, uh, the very like last three verses or so, there's a cloud coming and there's a rainstorm on its way. And Elijah tells Ahab, hey, you better, you better get on your chariot and go. And, and the Bible tells us that Elijah was given this, this supernatural strength from God and he outran the chariot, right? And so you just like to see, you see chariot coming and Elijah runs right past the chariot <laughs> and beats the rainstorm home and say, okay, wow, that's pretty exciting. But then you get to chapter 19 and um, because Elijah has, uh, has killed all the false prophets, you get to chapter 19 and Jezebel is angry because they're, they're her prophets. And so she's really, really upset. And contextually, uh, Obed has uh, hidden the prophets. Jezebel has been killing all the prophets. Prophets are hiding in caves, being fed, fed with bread and water just to sustain them. And uh, Jezebel is one lady, the queen of Ahab. But she becomes angry at Elijah. And she says, I'm going to kill you. In essence, right? I'm going to make your life like the life of my prophets by tomorrow. And in verse, uh, you know, he runs for his life. Verse 14, this is what Elijah believes. Then he said to God, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, torn down thy altar, and killed thy prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So his, his inward pity, um, because he felt like he was the only one. You ever been there? Just felt like, you know, nobody, no one knows, no one cares, no one understands. I'm the only one. You don't get me. No one gets me. Ever, a lot of my young people are going through that. No one gets me. No one understands. I mean, it's kind of, and, and some of it is kind of, I mean, it's different. I mean, we're living in a different age, right? I mean, I think to me, my, my um, granddaughter, one day I got called to school. <laughs> and, uh, and the principal was uh, telling me I needed, to get, I needed to talk to my granddaughter. And I said, okay, no problem. So I, uh, not a very good grandfather, by the way, because I was like, oh, okay, was everything okay? Oh, it's fine. She's fine. No, she wasn't fine. Anyway, um, she was a cat, <laughs> but she's not a cat, of course. <laughs> well, she, the, 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 the principal started explaining to me that the cat was running away from the, ran out of the building, ran out into the parking lot, uh, was hiding in the covers of the class of the school and running around the school and we're having a hard time keeping up. And I'm sitting there thinking, why did, why did my granddaughter, why did Mary Ann bring a cat to school? Like, what cat? Where's the cat? And then she kept talking about this cat. And I'm going, I, I'm, I'm sorry, ma'am. I don't understand. We're, why would she, the cat should be home? Well, Mary Ann was the cat. <laughs> she thought she was, I don't know what was going on. And I thought, well, that's just, I, I don't know. So I talked to her and I was really, confused and then you know uh if you just look at the if you just you know there are grown people who act like cats today right like for real right and you're going yeah i can understand i don't get that but um we're living in a kind of a different world right everything's okay and you have to just kind of accept me the way that i am and and by the way she's no longer a cat 
<laughs> we got to fix that. But um, but how do how do you deal with how do we deal with that in life? How do we, you know, how do we handle? So so here's this this satanic, if you will, idea. Satan's coming in and he's and he's causing us to have thoughts that aren't true. So no one understands me, and young people are committing suicide like crazy, right? Uh, COVID hit, and we've got some really serious numbers um, for suicide and the, you know drugs and. I know, I know drugs have been around forever, suicide's been around forever, but I mean, it's, you know, it's becoming pretty, pretty, pretty serious now, and it's because they're, they're in this place in their hearts and minds that no one understands me, no one gets me, and, and kind of we don't, I mean, especially like this whole, I mean, these, the Furbies and the, all, whatever's going on, right, and, and so how do I figure that out? Well, we got to do some research, I know, and do our homework, but Elijah was there. Right? Elijah said, there's no one. I am the only one. He wasn't right. Right? What did, what did God say later in that chapter, uh, all the way down in verse 18? God says, how many are out there? Just like you, Elijah. 7,000. <laughs> no, 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 God, you don't understand. There's no one out here that understands me, that gets me. That, that can sympathize with me or empathize with me. I'm the only one. And God says, no, nah, you got to open your eyes, Elijah. You're not the only one. Right? And, and so that, that, that you know, answer to depression in 1 Kings 19 is get, work, get to work. Go do something. Which we, we model that in, in psychology now that we say, okay, you need to exercise. You need to you know, get out of the house. You need to do something. Be active. And that's what God did for Elijah. He's okay. You finished? Now go. Go do this, this, and this, and this. God gave him a uh, task. So, you ever heard this one before? Um, every bad thing happens to me. You know, she's like, all the bad stuff happens to me, right? Um, the other one, um, what did I write down? Oh, yeah. If I didn't have bad luck, I'd have no luck at all, right? You ever heard that? <laughs> I don't know if that was a joke or serious, but I've heard people say that. Um, for our younger people, no one likes me. No one in the school likes me. No one. No one likes me. That's why I don't want to go to school anymore. No one likes me. No one likes no one. And it's like, well, that's not, or the opposite. Everyone likes me. I'm, everyone likes me, you know. And so there's this, these hyperbolic ideas in their minds that really aren't true. And we have to get uh, our young people to step away for a second and think about, okay, wait, here's where you are in a hyperbolic statement, is an exaggerated statement is not true. It's never true. It's never that no one likes you. That's never true. There's always someone that likes you, and we'll start with your mama, right? I mean, it may be a little, no, we'll start there, right? There's always someone who likes you, and we'll start with mama, and then we'll go on from there. But that idea and that thought is so destructive and and a, a hyperbolic idea and thought that it could really ruin us, and it's ruining people to this day. And so we're, we're trying to help people to uh, alter or change that mindset uh, when it comes to uh, the negative. All right. I've already mentioned earlier about faith, and faith is really important, right, to have, to have faith in God. Not to have just a faith, but you've got to have the faith in God that is, is necessary. And, I, I, you know, in our, in our studies, especially with teenagers, I always ask them, hey, um, I like to, for them to go look out the window. Uh, and, and I asked them, tell me what the trees are doing. And I'll describe the trees. They're swaying back and forth. Well, what's happening? Well, the wind's blowing them. The wind's blowing the trees. And I'll say, is it? 
And they'll say, yep. And I'll ask the question, prove it to me. Well, you go outside and you can feel it. You feel the wind? Okay. I feel something, but I don't know that it's the wind. Is it the wind? Well, yes, yeah, the wind. When the trees are swaying, is that the wind or is that the effect of the wind? Well, yeah, the wind's making the trees sway, but can you see the wind? No. So how do you know it's the wind? You see, oh, we've got to do a whole bunch of research and learn about air pressure and all those things. Or we could just say, you know what? Do you feel God? Or the effects of God? You can't see God. But God is just as real as the oxygen you're breathing right now that you can't see. As the wind that's making those trees sway. See, because I could have made a really good argument and said, actually, it's not the wind that's causing those trees to sway. It's an earthquake. Right? Am I right? I don't know. We have to go out and test it. But the point of the matter is, is helping them to realize that you don't have to be able to see something than to believe it to be true. Right? You don't have to see it to believe it. So this is just a God talk. Just, you, you know, God exists. You don't have to be able to see God to believe God, even though that's one of the uh, things they use in uh, schools to teach them not to believe in God. Life is, is beautiful and grand and great and precious when you have a faith in God. When you can hold on to God. Because again, like I mentioned many times, God knows, God cares, God understands. When you can hold on to God, you can make it through things you never thought you'd ever make it through. When you can hold on to God. Because, because God is real and God is fact. Right? You hold on to Him, you're going to be alright. If you have nothing to hold on to, you're just going to be swayed with the times, right? And that's a bad place to be. And a lot of our young folks are in that position where they're being swayed with the times because they, they don't have a leg to stand on. You know, when you're thinking about what do I accept as right? What do I accept as wrong? What's right? What is wrong? Is there really an objective truth? Is there just subjective truth? Is there anything right? Is there anything, you know, and then they're just, they're just confused. Okay, I want to go to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to thank you tonight for letting me just kind of ramble on, but I wanted to give you information. I also, wanted, what I wanted to do tonight was to uh, give you some um, uh, biblical tips on how to counsel. If you want to counsel young people or, or counsel in general, you want to make yourself a professional counselor, uh, I can give you some tips. Just give you three chains, well, I will give you more than that, but three chains of Scripture in the Bible. You know those three chains or know to go to those three chains? You can counsel. You can help anybody. You can help anyone. Maybe we'll do that next, uh, next week. But tonight, faulty thinking truly does produce um, destructive behavior. It really does, doesn't it? I mean, if I believe I can get away with it, you know, you watch a television show and, and, and you watch uh, Smokey and the Bandit or something, you know, and boy, those guys always get away. And you get behind a car and you think, hey, I can get away too. Be, be, I mean, but... Right? Um, so Ephesians 4 and verse, verse 17. This I say therefore and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility. You see that uselessness, right? The futility of their mind. So, so what the Gentiles are doing, being, being outside of God, and this is what the verse is saying to us, uh, even though in Ephesus there are Gentiles in the congregation. He's talking about not being a Christian versus being a Christian. 
And so there's futility. And, and Solomon gave us a lot of information about futility and striving after the wind in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he says, you know, everything about life, if you don't have something that you're shooting for in righteousness, meaning serving God, fearing God, and keeping his commandments, then you're living a life of futility because what are you really striving for, right? You get to the end, and then what? Well, we stand before God. But you get to the end of your goal, and then what? You find that if your end was, I want to make a billion dollars, and you work, 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 and you gain the billion dollars, and then Solomon's question is, okay, now what? Now you have to keep it. How are you going to keep it? Well, now you've got to work twice as hard to keep it. Right? Well, well, that wasn't in my plan, but that's futility. That's the futility of this life. You know? And so striving or chasing after, Solomon says, the wind. So it says the Gentiles are walking in futility, and he's telling Christians, no longer walk in futility. Instead, walk toward God or walk, walk with Jesus. And then verse 18, being dark and describing them in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And how their hearts become hard, well, they believed some things that weren't true and patterned their life after it, right? If you do these three things, you're going to be successful in life. And someone does those three things and go, hey, I know I'm good with God because I'm successful in life. But is that what God said? You know, and so then there becomes a hardening of, I don't need to serve God because I already have, what? I already have money and I have a house and I have a car and a family and so I'm good in retirement. No, you're not good. Because now you've, you've, you've striven after only the wind. All that you gain is the wind. Because you're going you're gonna to leave it. Right? And Solomon goes into that whole idea. The next verse, in verse 19 it says, And they have become callous and have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of um, every kind of impurity with greediness and he goes on to talk about this so in other words their minds have been warped because they have produced destructive behavior based on their belief system right and when you believe something is okay you know it's no big deal to do it it doesn't bother your conscience it doesn't it's okay to do it even if it might be wrong last scripture for tonight Proverbs chapter 3 so here's a question when we think about a, um, a view of life. How do, when you think of young, maybe myself, how do I view happiness? Right? What is, what is happiness? And then you might even compare that to joy. Happiness is different from joy, isn't it? You know, happiness is like, I got a birthday present. I'm like, yeah, this is great. And then come back next week and it's like in the corner. I'm not even playing with it. It brought me happiness. It's for a moment. It's it's, you know, it's momentary, it's, it's exciting, uh, it's, it's riveting, but then it just, it's no longer needed because it didn't bring true happiness. But joy is very different, especially joy, a fruit of the Spirit, very different. There's no comparison between the two, right? Um, you go back and do a study on that. It's a really exciting uh, study. But Proverbs 3, verse 7, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. So the happy end, the happiness is, should be, the joy in life should be to be in a relationship with God. That's where the true joy should always be. 
And God will never leave us. God will never forsake us. So here's a question. We have things that interrupt us and interrupt our minds. I think I have time to do this real quick. Um, environmental misconceptions messes up, right? So you got things like, you know, anorexia. Well, what, why, why, are you, why are you doing this to yourself? Well, because it's bringing me happiness. Right? So I'm struggling with this misconception of my mind, and so that's where I am. The next one is the environmental misconception that um, brings in narcissistic attitudes, right? You know, this is, this is what brings me happiness, though. This is kind of where I am. Uh, even, 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 you know, paranoia, you might put that in there as well. And the last one, inter, interpersonal misconceptions, that's, that's your esteem, right? Self, my, my self-esteem, how I feel about myself. Well, am I living my life full of guilt? There are a lot of people that are living their lives full of guilt. I deal with it all the time. Struggling. And then, and then the last just kind of idea, closing out, um, that I still deal with to this day. People call me up and go, have I done enough? Right? Well, let's think about that. Well, what does that mean well, when you ask me that question? Right? Can we ever do enough? Right? We've got to put things in a proper perspective. Uh, so, okay, we'll come back. Um, we'll the next week. We only have a couple weeks left for this class and then our series is over. I thank you for your time and participation. I'll, I'll write a note to bring uh, the counseling uh, tips next week, Lord willing. Thank you.